Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. So Jay, before we begin, I would like you to please verify that you are not a robot by uh, checking all the boxes in which you see a school bus. <laughs> oh, you, you just I, my my circuits are starting to overload there, Tom. Um, well, I so just have to verify that. that I'm not talking to a robot because apparently the robots uh, are taking over. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, as you've seen on social, certainly on Twitter this week, you know, Chat GPT has been big all along. And then I don't know if you were following the Do Not Pay saga. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have not followed that. Okay, so this is a company where somebody, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's he's building a an AI essentially that um, he, he announced that it was going to be the first robot sort of AI to represent a client in court to fight a traffic ticket. Um, and this is supposed to be happening relatively soon. And I think this just this past week on Twitter, um, he announced that... He had been threatened by prosecutors that you know he was going to be put in jail and all of these ramifications of you know essentially having something that was not a licensed human lawyer um, you know, advocating on someone's behalf and representing someone in a courtroom. So in any event, that that was uh, that was a lot of you know interesting fodder on Twitter this week that people had many reactions to. So I am not a robot. Um, <laughs> I feel this actually reminds me of. The, you know, if you remember back in 2020, probably the most humorous and interesting moment of the year being the guy who couldn't get rid of his cat filter and had to declare to the court that he was not a cat. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. here, I guess we have to declare that I am not a robot, uh, okay. not just that I'm not a cat. I'm also not a cat. So, <laughs> all right. Well, you don't have to use the filter anymore then. So, <laughs> this comes to mind obviously because as somebody who develops content for a living, I'm following this whole chat GPT thing and AI, you know, just robots in general, obviously closely. Um, and everyone seems to be writing about it, including an interesting piece I came by uh, by way of our guest from last week, Alex Sue. I subscribed to his newsletter, which everybody should. And he had a thoughtful take on whether or not these robots, as you suggest, could take the place of attorneys even. So writers is one thing, but attorneys even. And I'm going to paraphrase what I thought was a salient point because I think it's important is that probably to some degree, artificial intelligence is going to replace some of the functions that some of us white collar workers and knowledge workers execute currently, some of it. But he said part of what goes into, and that's where I want to take get your take on this, he says part of what goes into hiring an attorney is not just that you found the answer, like, you know, chat GPT is like a glorified search engine, right? It's finding things on the internet, making sense of it and presenting it to you. Um, it's really search on steroids. But when you hire an attorney, it's not just to get the answer, it's to get the confidence that the person who is giving you the answer knows that this is the right way to go based on experience, based on understanding of your needs. And how are you ever going to get that from a robot? I don't know. And certainly not in the year 2023 in the near future. So and I, I would say the same thing for writing too. It's like if you put some searches into the chat GPT, they'll probably spit 
something back to you that resembles a high school essay, but will it be your thoughts? Will it be differentiated from the next person who put in those same inputs, et cetera? So get your take on both as a writer and as a former practicing attorney. Are they going to replace us this year? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not this year. Although, you know, I, when we get to the writer part, uh, it might be, uh, there might be some aspects of this that'll move quicker than we think, I think. But um, as far as lawyers go, yeah, I mean, I think that that point is is key. Certainly, this will have an impact on aspects of the practice of law. I mean, it will, to me, hopefully it will be an enhancement to people's ability to solve difficult problems because it takes some of the things like research maybe off the table, um, you know, the pouring over countless cases, trying to fight, find the right answer, um, you know, certain other aspects of searching through documents, um, suggesting and pointing out discrepancies between con- uh, terms and a contract. You know, th- th- I think that AI can be really helpful in, in many regards. Um, will it, yeah, will it displace lawyers in general? Um, no, not not anytime soon, that's for sure. Um, because, yeah, I think what you're getting at is, um, you know, judgment is just a key aspect of uh, practicing law and advising and counseling a client. And that is developed through experience dealing with other human beings, right? And the all of the all of the bad decisions we make, all of the cognitive biases that we're governed by, and all of the other humanistic elements that lead us to, you know, oftentimes act out of emotion, not reason and logic. So a big part of a big part of practicing law, and I know this was true certainly in my practice was, talking people out of doing things, right? It's like, uh, yeah, you you do have a claim here. Um, we could bring a lawsuit, but it's a really bad idea for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, and oftentimes those are, in, in some respects, emotional, non-logical reasons. Like you're going you're gonna to have trouble sleeping at night over this uh, for the next two years. And once you're in, you're in. And uh, people don't think about that. They're seeking retribution. They're seeking justice. And it's like, you you could ruin your life for the next several years if you go down this rabbit hole. And even though, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, you might quote unquote win, you're going to pay a, a, a heavy toll uh, in the process, not only financially, but emotionally. And yeah, it's going to be really hard for <laughs> chat GPT to kind of talk someone through that, be empathetic, um, read someone's body language, really get to the bottom of what it is that they are really looking for and what are the things that are going to be um, difficult for them to deal with through a process like this. So, so yeah, it, it, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about uh, AI as a, as a tool to help take some of the, you know, it'll, it'll help reduce mistakes. I think over time um, it will help reduce some of the grunt busy work, you know, the, the garbage that, I think makes the some aspects of the practice of the law undesirable. Um, it, it'll, you know, and it, it has the promise of enhancing one's ability to um, think creatively, uh, kind of go upstream and deal with more difficult problems. Uh, all, all of these things that you know you're co- you only have so much cognitive ability, and if a lot of it is wasted on relatively menial things that a, a robot and, and an AI can take care of, well, then I think that's a good thing ultimately. So I'll pause there. Any that makes sense, Tom? It does. And I would just liken it to I still pay a, a CPA to do my taxes when I could just 
put 40 bucks in a credit card and have TurboTax do it. I don't even know what it costs for TurboTax anymore, but um, yeah. it goes back to uh, Sue's point though, Alex Sue, in that it's I'm buying the confidence that Steve knows what he's doing and that he will act in my best interest, not just search the internet and give me what he found, right? So anyways, um, and then just real quick before we move on, your thoughts on writing, is it similar? Like a lot of the, the menial tasks of writing mm-hmm. maybe can be augmented by AI, but replaced? Yeah, probably someday, uh, you know, but you do, you are missing that element of, uh, you know, it's hard to say the, the magic, I guess, of writing the, the stuff that's based on one's personal experience, the ability to make interesting you know, little discrete observations about um, just, again, humanity, the, 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 the nuances and idiosyncrasies of, of life. I mean, that's, that's going to be hard to replicate, but, you know, mechanical, technical writing that, you know, certain like conversion, copywriting, marketing, you know, coming up with taglines, like all that stuff. That's, you know, that that's not going to be that long before that the, the, the robots are doing that better than, than humans, or at least at a volume where, you know, you're going to get an, you're going to get a good answer uh, at some point, even if you just have to keep telling it to go back to the well. Um, But, you know, again, that's, I think that's okay. I don't, at least, you know, at least for me, that's not the type of writing I'm interested in doing. Um, And I've played around with it. Uh, I don't know if you have much, Tom, but I I certainly have quite a bit. Um, And it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's obviously, we're talking about like a newborn baby here in terms of, um, you know, what you're, what it's, what it's spitting out right now. And it's, it's pretty good um, as a newborn baby. And it really, there are some interesting use cases for it. Uh, again, research, um, you know, coming up with information that you would spend a lot of time on when you're trying to write a piece. Uh, that's, that's great. I mean, I, as a writer, I'm, I'm excited about that. And so I think that, um, I think it'll, you know, it'll be a little bit, there'll be a, some aspects of writing that it will soon be able to do as good if not better than than the, you know the best human out there in terms of certain aspects of writing but uh but it's you know right now it's a little limited and i'm i'm interested to, though to see what comes next yeah and it just it brings to mind something you were tweeting about and you've written about in the past too though is that um all the more reason why the goal of your writing should be just to report on the facts, right? Because people have easy access to facts. There's abundance of facts. Like if there's a new Supreme court ruling or it's not difficult to go find out what that is and what, even maybe what the implications are, what it means and how you apply the law or, you know, that's where I think the, your writing should focus on and that will continue to be even more so important as the, uh, the robots rise. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on. Yeah. I a- ask you a question. Because it's a question you hear asked a lot, and it's a question I see answered a lot. And I want you to answer it in your way, which is, excuse the French, what the hell is a personal brand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I have one? Do I need one? Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 and and I I had put this as a possible uh, topic for us to talk about today, just because for me it's top of mind. I, earlier this week, I did a I did like a lunch and learn presentation uh, webinar thing for Bloomberg, and it was on it was on personal branding. So so I'd been thinking about it this week. I thought it could be something we talk about because it is one of those terms that. I don't know. We've probably dealt with this a little bit in prior podcast episodes, but it's one of those kind of amorphous terms that you know, everyone 
says and you know they they never really define and it doesn't really have a great definition but to me it's it's basically you know the thing that's there to sell you when you're not there to sell yourself so whatever it's synonymous with reputation i feel like everyone tries to create some definition that isn't just reputation um and that's my attempt at that i guess uh but it really is it's what people think about you jeff bezos said it's what others say about you when you're not in the room um so i think people get a general sense of of what we're talking about there but i mean i to me it's you know it's this collection of things that you do um it's it's the a social proof you've assembled so social proof meaning are you associated with brands or institutions or you know if you certain things that you're attached to that give you a reputational boost as a result of that association for me an example of that and it and it you know it's perhaps not deserved but it still pays dividends to this day is the fact that I worked at Skadden Arps as a as a lawyer. Um, that's a that's a very strong brand name in the legal community, and it brings with it a certain you know people form an impression about you if you if you worked there. Oh, you must be smart. You must be a hard worker. Like th those are the 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 brand attributes of of Skadden rub off on the people that work there. So that's one aspect of of a personal brand. So you want to think carefully about you know what what can you highlight that um constitutes social proof for your brand it might also be um i've written for certain publications or you know all all kinds of aspects of, of things constitute social proof um and then uh it's it's also to me it's the ideas you put out right so it's your body of work that exists online these days so if people are trying to find out more about you they're not necessarily jumping to having a conversation with you and making an assessment. They're looking to see what have you shared online that kind of speaks for you that I can read. And if it resonates, maybe I form a stronger impression of you. Um, if it doesn't, uh, well, then it has the opposite effect. So I think your body of work and then um, finally your network. So you know, the strength of your network oftentimes is a big factor and in, in, in terms of your the strength of your personal brand and so you know you want to develop good relationships you want to make sure those relationships relate to your objectives and goals that your personal brand might be able to enhance or further um so thinking in those three terms those are kind of the prongs or the categories that constitute you know a personal brand from my standpoint um so with that groundwork having been laid tom what would you add to that or what would you quibble with based on what i said uh, nothing to quibble with i might add mm -hmm. something maybe this is a category error um because i know you think along these lines as well but i was thinking as you mentioned like your social proof this history that you've built up can serve as assets it can also serve as unintended maybe um hindrances so mm. for example i i meet or i just see the person's resume and they work at scad and i'm thinking wow okay that's a big firm he's probably expensive i bet he's super stuffy and then i meet jay harrington and i'm like well he's pretty cool he's pretty chill so the thing i would add is your voice or put another way personality i think Again, going back to people hire the attorney and not the firm is I think you need to actively to the question of do I need one? I think it's important to actively share your authentic self and voice, whether it's your writing, it's your marketing, it's your speaking, whatever it is. So people know the authentic you and don't just make judgments based on things 
like social proof. You know, my own brother-in-law works at Clark Hill, becoming one of the largest firms in the world. He's, you know, super down to earth guy. I'd like to say he's humble, but he's almost humble. Um, But if all I knew about him was that he worked at Clark Hill, I wouldn't know the first thing about him, but I know him personally. So how do you get people who don't know you personally to know your personality? And I think you gotta be active about it. You gotta write, you've gotta appear, you've gotta present, you've gotta show up to events, that sort of thing. yeah, no, I'm, 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 I agree with that. I think that's, that's right. I mean, I, I actually wrote about that not too long ago, just talking in terms of personal branding and saying that, you know, the, the strongest personal brand is, is being you, you know, being yourself. Yeah. Um, and that, that kind of was my attempt to encapsulate, I think, the concept you're talking about, which is it's the one, it's the one and only thing about you that's truly unique. Um, and, and I guess yeah. it can cut, cut both ways. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're a jerk, then right. um, that's one thing, but, and maybe then you rely upon your, uh, you know, your, your high quality brand associations. Hey, uh, I know a lot of jerks that get hired because they're jerks and you know who I'm talking about. That's right? true. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, if that's not our authentic self, they're going to get hired for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, but that is ultimately what people want. And I mean, there's there's another aspect to this too that I was thinking about, uh, Tom, and I'm interested in your your take on this. But so um, what? It's not about having an inauthentic personality, but in terms of crafting your brand, what you want to put out in the marketplace in terms of you know the sort of the reputational aspects of what's speaking for you to the marketplace. I mean, there is a strategic component of that too, right? You want to essentially adopt an identity um right you you need to project the thing that you hope to become in a sense right mm-hmm. it's kind of like james clear talks about how do i develop new habits and he talks about you know identity based habits where identify the person you want to become and then and then identify what are the ha- what would this person do in this scenario and and as as he says in the book uh, atomic habits uh prove it to yourself uh, with a series of small wins. So I think there's some application beyond just habit formation to that formula, which is from a personal branding standpoint, you do have to start acting as if you are the thing you want to become. I, I use the example in in the productivity pivot or um, in that book, I talk about that concept of an associate who hopes to make partner needs to start acting as if they are a partner in order for those responsible for making the decision of whether they're elected into the partnership uh, to start perceiving them as one. So, it, so what would a partner do in this situation? Well, they'd, they'd take ownership of this problem and, and fix it. They would you know, devote time for marketing and business development. Um, they, so in any event, I think personal branding is also closely related to that. You need to think about not who you are, necessarily, but who do you want to become? And then you want your brand to reflect that, I think, uh, without obviously being um, inaccurate about your capabilities or anything like that. But, be you know, show up as the person you want to become in 12 months. Is that? Yeah, is that fair? absolutely. And I maybe take it one step further just to consider an additional exercise if you're if you're doing something like what we're describing in the interest of building your practice or your business or marketing your company your firm whatever it is um is to consider what the market or the ideal uh client 
wants someone like you to be mm-hmm. and make sure that you the cross section between what you want to become and what that person who's going to hire you wants to be is in alignment not inauthentically not like oh i wish i could be a jerk like that guy on tv because then i'd be a millionaire but if you're not a jerk and the type of people you want to work with that want to hire jerks then there's no sense in even doing that. But in a perfect world, your authentic self, who you want to become someday, is right in alignment with either the partners that want to promote you, elect you, or the client that wants to hire you. So it's a useful exercise to think not just about who you want to become, but also what what does the person hiring you buying from you what do they want you to become too as well but don't yeah. change just because of that right right i want to make sure i'm being clear on that you can't be someone you're not just be, so it hopes that they'll hire you because it won't work totally and and the other one other aspect of this is also yeah we're we're, we're speaking some of what we're talking about is str- strategic in nature right thinking about who you want to become defining that all, all of these things, but it's still, it's critical, obviously, as we've also alluded to, to be highly visible. Um, you know, so for example, if you're a lawyer hoping to build a practice and you feel like you're trying to figure out like, how does my personal brand fit into this calculus? It's like, well, um, the point is with your personal brand is to make it crystal clear for people, you know, who you serve, what you do, how you help, what problems you solve and then be highly visible for that audience such that you know when they do encounter the problem that you solve they're thinking of you as as the solution and um so it's not you know this is not a one and done okay i've you know i rewrote my bio i you know i rewrote my linkedin profile it better reflects my personal brand that's all well and good but it's not nearly sufficient and you know you, we've talked about the unpredictable nature of legal demand. That's true. You can't be, you know, you never know when those opportunities will arise. You need to be there at the moment they do. And um, and and the thing is, most clients in, in most instances, I think, uh, they're not necessarily going to go, you know, to all ends of the earth trying to find the most qualified lawyer or professional for the job. They're they're more or less, as long as they've you built a, a you know a, a decent level of trust with them through your content and other means and your brand associations and social proof and all of those things, they're they're going to hire the person that's top of mind, and that means that you need your brand to be to be visible for people. Um, Tom, there's one other aspect of this that I, I just thought I'd share real quick because I think sometimes people mistake. You'll hear people talk about whether it's in. The legal industry or other domains, um, people who where opportunity seems to fall in their lap, you know, people will brand them as having been lucky, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, that person's lucky. Look at you know, they got this opportunity, they got this opportunity, um, and I think personal brand explains some of this. There's a book called The Lucky Art of Novelty, um, and I think it was written in the 1970s, and it's interesting. It sort of breaks down the uh, four stages of luck, uh, or four components of luck, as the author defined them, and and I'll go through them real quick. Uh, the first being blind luck, so that's winning the lottery, right? You can't really influence that. That is, there is such thing as blind luck, good or bad, and there's not much we can do about that. Um, but then we start to get into categories where we can actually influence luck. I think um, bring it about, 
And the second one is um, luck from motion. So this would be an example where somebody's just sort of frenetic energy, just meeting tons of people, attending tons of events. It's kind of random and um, you know incongruent, but they're as a result of just being super active, they're running into opportunities. Um, they may not be good ones, but they're getting lucky in a sense through the motion that they're uh, undertaking. And then the third one is luck from awareness. This is where you've developed enough domain expertise in an area where you can recognize opportunities that maybe other people can't, right? You're able to connect two dots that otherwise seem disconnected from one another. And as a result of that, you got you got lucky from your ability to be aware of opportunity. And then the fourth one is really the one I think where a well-honed, well-crafted personal brand comes in, which is luck from uniqueness. This is a situation where opportunity really starts coming inbound to you because you've clarified to such a great extent, you know, again, who you serve, how you help, what problems you solve, so that people are actively seeking you out. And those inbound opportunities are simply falling in your lap, seemingly out of nowhere. But it's just because you've conditioned the marketplace to such a great extent about how you can help and how you're, you know, the best at solving this discrete problem. And so you're getting all the lucky opportunities within that domain. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I, it was it, it was kind of the first introduction where I thought someone took the concept of luck and really broke it down into these components. But that that category number four, which is like sort of the most valuable form of quote unquote luck, to me is all about having a you know well great positioning and a strong brand that's generating inbound opportunities for you. And I think anyone can do that. Yeah, plus the repeated what Sandler calls behaviors, which is the, you know, the activities that you have to do, right? Um, develop content, speak, whatever it is, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's great. I love it. Yeah. It, and it reminds me that, was it 2022? So last year, your New Year's resolution was to create serendipity? It was. Right? So yeah. you were trying to create category number four. Because right. you have the clarity, I think, of who you are and who you serve. Mm -hmm. You obviously do the behaviors. And so did you – I shouldn't ask you if you got lucky in 2022. Mm -hmm. Was serendipity created in 2022 for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've I've seen a consistent, um, a consistent improvement in terms of the – the quality and the relevance of and 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 the and the quantity of of like high quality opportunities coming coming in so meaning it's a, a lot of times as a marketer you know with a marketing agency you get all kinds of inbound things right like um build you know can you build a website can you do this can you do that things that you know we just don't do um and yeah if someone was to be you know, to so that you you see that if if someone was on on you know the website they, they would they would see that those services aren't offered but i think if you're just perceived as a jack of all trades marketer uh, and with a marketing agency generically you, you start you you get opportunities but they're not they're not always good ones um there's a lot of motion a lot of activity but i think through just again the concept of compounding years of compounding content that really drills down on you know what are the types of problems that you're sol trying to solve and are good at solving um leads to just more clarification and more clarity in people's minds 
as to you know what how you can help and so the the quality of those opportunities the luck increases um as a result of that yep for sure yeah well that was 2022 um you posted what you think is the key question for 2023 i'll let you tee this up what is the key question yeah well i think it, this is for content creation in particular and especially i think social media content all right and and to me it's what what is it uh what what are you doing uh is what you're doing from a content standpoint like exciting and interesting to you um you know it's obviously important uh, and necessary for your content to be relevant and interesting to an audience but i'm just thinking more and more about sustainability now in terms of um, content creation and and how do how does one do this for long periods of time and that's important because that is really where and, and i guess i'll take one step back and like how why did i start thinking about this i guess it was because 20 that we you know when the when the calendar turned over to 2023 it'd been about three a little over three years of of consistent content creation on linkedin for me and it was around that time where i think i crossed like the 25,000 follower threshold on linkedin um and so i was just sort of thinking about that a little bit and any lessons learned and and whatnot and i was working on a post that i haven't written or or published yet uh but i will soon and i think that that what that question of like i don't think it's i don't think you can do it if it doesn't seem so exciting and interesting to you like what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis um it won't be sustainable and you will never get to the point where you're creating what's probably the most valuable aspect of um a, you know consistent writing habit on linkedin which is developing that feedback loop with your audience um and and that's what allows you to continue to create higher and higher quality content for that audience which allows you to further cultivate that audience so the 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 alternative to that approach that i've seen that i i want to stay away from at all cost is i i see plenty of people who are um you know they start writing um they get sort of addicted to the dopamine hits of um of people's reactions and and engagement with their posts and they start continuing to go down like further you know going down an extreme or or doubling down on things that were getting that engagement and next thing you know like i, I don't know who they're creating content for and mm -hmm. i don't know who is who is following them or what what audience they're trying to build it just they you know they lose the script and i i just think that you know this ability to make keep things interesting, keep it sustainable such that you can you can create a feedback loop that allows you to better understand what your audience wants and figure out how to how to find that overlap between what you find interesting and what your audience finds interesting and exciting and and that's a slow incremental process that in my case has taken years um but now is is really paying off. That's why I think this ties into the last thing we we're talking about which is serendipity has resulted from that refinement process but that refinement process took took years to accomplish and if you try to short circuit it and you start you know early on in the process just focused on engagement and reactions and i, I don't know i i think you can you can lose the script and I've, I've definitely seen people do that and and it's it you know it just like you've you you started something it had promise of you know being a valuable marketing 
uh, tactic for yourself. And now it, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's just purely a, a dopamine machine, I guess. It's like the online version of what I was trying to caution against, even in making my own point prior, which was that you definitely want to be the person that the client wants to hire. Right. Um, and in this version of that, it's you, you want those reactions. You want this sort of, um, confirmation that your content is funny or engaging or important or whatever. So you start to chase the wrong, the wrong end, right? Is that what you're describing? Which again, totally. I think goes back to like, it has to be aligned to, it, it's another way of maybe saying what's exciting to you, but what's, mm-hmm. what's authentic to you? Because if you start chasing likes and all this other stuff, you may become an internet sensation, probably won't, but like, will you have been building your brand or your practice or you know yeah. the whole reason you got into it to begin with so it yeah reminds me of like i would love to have alex sue's follower count the notion of me doing tiktok videos for anyone other than me i wouldn't even let my daughter follow me on tiktok it'd be horrible right but yeah. it doesn't excite me no interest in it right so i could never yeah. do it so yeah. i guess i could try and be inauthentic and be a silly and maybe my follower count would go through the roof i, I don't know what i would be achieving to your point you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I on the webinar I I did recently. I mean, I talked about the fact that I'd much rather have a thousand lawyers in my network because that's who I serve and who I want to hire me. A mm-hmm. uh, hundred thousand random followers, right? I mean, it, it to me that's a it's it's a vanity metric and nothing more. Um, and it, it's even worse than that because then you know it's almost like. I, I need to, I, I build a prison for myself in which that whatever got me to that hundred thousand follower mark, I need to keep feeding, you know, that beast. Um, and I'm, I'm trapped by it to an extent. So yeah, give me, give me the deep concentration of the audience. I hope to serve in my underlying business. That's what I want. And that's hard. I mean, it, that's, and, and most of our listeners, they'll, they'll struggle with that because, you know, the audiences that most, you know, most lawyers serve or are trying to attract, they're not going to be cheerleading your content um, the way that if you were in, you know, some engagement pod with the, you know, creator, you know, social media creator community or the sales community on on LinkedIn, not to disparage those communities anyway, they just tend to engage with one another and and like each other's content because they're all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is, hey, let's let's all boost our our visibility. But if you're if you're writing for an audience that's your underlying like client base, you've got to really work hard at it. And and you know it's a, a real accomplishment if you can grow that audience. Um, and the hard work's worth it though, because that's, you know, if, if your goal is to use this as a mechanism to drive business, well then, you know, you've unlocked that, but it's not easy. That's why a lot of people veer off course, I think. Yeah. The inverse is always also try. I often tell the story of, uh, you know, I have a few people who uh, consistently refer me opportunities. And if I'm having coffee with them, it might, it's not uncommon for them to say, oh, I love that thing you put on LinkedIn the other day. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you loved it. You didn't even like it. Like, I didn't even know you're <laughs> out there. Right. right. So they don't interact. It's the inverse of what you said earlier. The type of people who are cheerleading your content might not be the person who's going to hire you. Also, the person that might refer you could be seeing your content, but isn't reacting in a measurable way. You know, and it won't show up in the analytics, right? But um, yeah. all the more important why you need to define who are you writing for, who are you creating content for, and, and why. And yeah. stick to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, most of the time, yeah. When, when I'm hearing from someone, 
uh, related to an opportunity. It's, it's yeah, it's not in the comments or the reactions to a post. It's a direct message or an email, um, and they'll say, "Oh, I've been reading your LinkedIn content for two years. Um, let's talk about you know X, Y, and Z." Right. And that's that's kind of the way it goes, I think, for most people. So yep. I think it's to stay on course, like it's you've you've got you just have to you have to be, you know, what is the what is the phrase? It's like you know, act act with. Uh, a certain level of intensity, but have a lot of patience in the process. Like move fast, but be patient. Um, you've got to have enough volume of activity, uh, but you ha- you can't be expecting immediate results and, and anything near immediate results. And and I guess everyone defines results differently, but certainly, um, get, you know, give it give it the appropriate time. Learn, um, iterate, refine, and you know, it'll over time. I think you'll you'll see results that you're looking for. Yep. You not immediate results, but you need to start immediately so that you will have results. And that's it's like there you go. Boy, del- yeah, I gotta uh delay my gratification. Jeez, yeah. Pete, what is this? All yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I just thought it occurred to me, Jay, as we got to the end here, that we could have just had Chat GPT do this podcast for us. <laughs> we could have <laughs> been doing we can try that. Maybe what we'll do is we will um We'll put some prompts in, and then we'll just read whatever ChatGPT spit out for us as our script for for some upcoming episode. Well, I, I know in in I think the first speech was given on the floor of Congress, written by ChatGPT in the last couple of days. So how'd it um, go? I guess fine. It was a couple of paragraphs. I don't know. So yeah. we'll have to do uh, we'll do have to do the uh, podcast version here shortly. <laughs> well, I could certainly do without. Uh, certain politicians so <laughs> sign yeah, me I, up for that yeah i prefer chat gpt uh as well so all Ooh, right well, how well, about in a landslide 2024 what's that i said the next election he'll win in a landslide or oh it, that's right yeah landslide. oh you just you just called it uh you called it a he so you've do you know this term anthropomorphization i think i, think, I said it right and i think i just did it yeah you did you did <laughs> Yeah, you treat, treat starting to treat a, a machine as a as having human qualities. So. Oh boy, I saw a Twilight Zone about this. So, anyways, I need to go. You need to go. I'm off to write. You're off to coach. Right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. I think that's the episode. So we'll see you guys uh, next week. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.